What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 47 of the Noise Podcast, sponsored by Stereo Brand Records. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh. I am joined, as ever, by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? Couldn't be better, my friend. How are you? Back to work next week, mate. Crushing. Uh, yeah, I couldn't be better right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, again. yeah. In about seven days, it, I could be very much better. It, it could be the point that I'm at right now. Um, but yeah, um, just, um, just you know, preparing, reading through books again, planning lessons, you know, all the fun stuff about being a teacher is all happening as we speak. Luckily, none of that fun stuff is my responsibility, so I can just spend this next week trying to enjoy every single minute that I can. <laughs> That's true, but any time all of the tedious stuff I have to do gets disrupted by a child, I get to send them. To someone like you and that and that that alleviates any problems i'm having yeah. right now so i just I, I just don't know who's evil is worse to be honest uh we're waking <laughs> we're waking welcome at our podcast brought to you by noise Card uk and as i mentioned sponsored by the wonderful folks at stereo brain records we're available on youtube apple music and spotify and pretty much wherever you can get your podcast uh, wherever you're listening if you could give us a like and subscribe that'd be absolutely awesome uh we've had really great growth over the last few weeks on noise podcast so if we can keep that up That'd be absolutely awesome. Uh, we appreciate every listen and every subscription. Thank you so much. Uh, on episode 46 of the Noise Podcast, uh, Pantera's Vulcan Display of Power entered our greatest metal album of all time. And we had a review on Biffy Clyro's celebration of endings, which was very interesting, wasn't it, Sam? It really was. It really was. I felt that we, we did a good job of um, discussing both sides of the uh, of the coin on Biffy yeah. Clyro. And I, thought, I think it was a good listen. For either side of our of our respective audiences, people that agree with me and people that are wrong. One of my favourite episodes that we've done that uh, last week's was I, I I really really love that one. Uh, this week uh, we're going to run through the news. We've got another breaking band segment and reviews come from Diamond Constructs D- DCX2 EP and Oceans of Slumber's new self-titled record. Uh, to get things kicked off with the news, Sam, uh, I can't imagine we're going to be going over the news for too long on this episode, because, again, as usual with how things are at the moment, not a massive amount going on. However, uh, Corey Taylor, Sam, have, has announced that Stone Sour are on an indefinite hiatus. Uh, he announced this on uh, the Green Room podcast. Uh, his actual words were, I feel like Stone and Sour's kind of run its course for now, we all talked to the band and decided to kind of put Stone Sour uh, on indefinite hiatus. That's just the way it is. Uh, we've put it on the shelf and now everybody's going and doing their own thing. Uh, Sam, this comes as absolutely zero surprise to me. Oh, yeah, this is absolutely inevitable. Um, the moment he started doing his solo stuff, it was kind of obvious that Stone Sour would take a back seat. And it's... He's a man. He's a man that's very busy, but he can't be in two or three places at once. This is, like you said, absolutely no surprise. But also, for me, I feel like Stone Sour as a band have run their course full stop. Uh, their last record was Hydro Grad in 2017, which was it was all right. Uh, there, there, okay, was, yeah. there, there was one really good song on there. I think it was the third song on the album because uh, I reviewed it when it came when it came out. I can't remember the name of the song now, but it, it, uh, there was one song that I really liked on it. I think it was like the third song on the album. I think it was the lead single, actually, as well. Uh, but the record, you know, away from that, it was all right. It was just Corey Tyler singing rock tunes, which is never going to be a bad thing, is it? It's always going to be all right. But I, I think I think musically, uh, Stone Sour have just run their course full stop. So, I mean, I mean, if Corey Tyler came out, Sam, and said, oh, we're never going to do another Stone Sour album, 
I mean, would you be bothered? And I don't mean this to, I don't mean this to like a, a massive knock to Stone Sarah, but I, I don't think I'd be bothered to be honest. No, I understand. I think, I think their, their best is behind them. And I always thought it was strange considering that they had some lineup problems in Slipknot and Jim Root was still in Stone Sarah. And I, I always thought that would, that would create some tension, but, um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, really, if you if you want to, like, oh, I'm really fancy getting into Stone Sour, seeing what Corey Taylor's about around Slipknot. You listen to the first two albums, and that would be that. That's enough. That's enough. Yeah. Like um, their their debut album and Come Whatever May is a, is as good as it's gonna get, and as good as it has gotten since. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you. I. That I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind if they had another album about. But I'm. I'm not exactly devastated that there isn't going to be one in the near future. Uh, that song uh, that I mentioned that I really liked was called Song Number Three. It's not the third song on the memorable album, so title. It's. It's not the th- annoyingly. It's not the third song on the album. Uh, it's the fifth song, but it's called Song Number Three, which I think is why I thought that it was the third song on the record. However, uh, obviously, <laughs> Corey Taylor's solo record, CMFT, is out on the 2nd of October. That plays, of course, a large role in the Stone Sabers hiatus because he's got slip, he's got a Slipknot World Tour to do, and then he said he's going to do a World Tour of his solo material as well. I think in the news article that I read about this, it, he said, oh, I'll just tour two records at once. He is a, a, a robot, isn't it? Corey Tyler. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's, ex- he's extraordinary. He definitely is a person that doesn't enjoy at all going home and actually just being at home and being a family man or whatever he would do in his spare yeah. time. He, he, seem, he seems to need to, to be able to be doing something all of the time. Well, even because- when he's at home, he'll end up writing a book. Or well, exactly. Like that was that was what I was going to say. Like even even when he's not been involved in bands, he's written stuff. He, he's done podcasts and he's appeared all over the place. He even did a ill begotten Christmas song, if you remember, a few years ago. Yeah, this is a man that, 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 yeah. absolutely terrible as well. Um, he just needs to be involved in something, and I respect that. I respect that. Um, which is probably one of the reasons why he seems to feel that like Slipknot is just going to go on and on and on and on and on. Because he is wired that way, uh, I think that's I think that's commendable. I think that's commendable for him. I'm I'm with you though. Um, now I'm more there for a bit. That's fine. I look forward to the next Corey Tyler thing. Looking forward to interestingly hearing his new album. Yeah, I was going to say uh, new Hello. album out. New album out in just over a month. That is going to be a fascinating listen. T- judging on the two singles that we've heard so far. Uh, yeah. I mean. I mean at the yeah. very, at the very least, it's going to be an opportunity for Corey Tyler to creatively spread his wings. Um, you know, with Slip, so I, I felt like "We Are Not Your Kind" by Slipknot. I really liked the album. I thought it was a very creative album. But it, it, as creative as as I thought, "We Are Not Your Kind" is, he's still very much stuck to a certain formula within Slipknot. He can only go mm. so far within the realms of realism. While he's in, while he's in the Slipknot makeup, so this solo record where he can pretty do well, not pretty much do. He can do whatever he wants because he's Corey Taylor and it's his solo record. I'm very, very interested in, even though first two singles thus far I'm not massive on. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's very fair to say. It just worried me that these were the two songs he wanted us to hear first. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm trying not to think of it like that. Those are the wanna... ones he's enthusiastic about. Yeah, I don't want to put a, a, a sour taste in my mouth about it before I listen to the album. And I, mm. I, I, I'm one of these people. I do try and avoid listening to songs before an album. Like, yeah, the, me the, too. There's two examples that we're, we're going to talk about. Two singles on, on this on this episode, but I'll, I'll listen to like the lead single. And then, unless absolutely necessary, I'll avoid anything else until the record because I always find a great level of more respect in when you hear the, the record exactly as the artist wants you to hear it. And also, yeah. sometimes songs sound much better surrounded by other songs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Some albums are meant to be heard in its entirety rather than little snippets. Some albums are complete ideas where tracks just sort of split them up a little bit, and 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 that that's definitely for the benefit of the, of the listener. But I, I agree with you. If I could avoid it, I will try and avoid the singles. But obviously, that didn't necessarily happen with these Corey Taylor ones, which has not helped <laughs> matters. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, a great a great example for me in twenty sixteen, um, the day to members bad vibrations. They released, a, I think Ballfight was like the third single they released before the album came out. And I was like, oh, I don't like this. This is too much of a left turn. Uh, this doesn't work. Surround it on the record with uh, with Exposed and Reassemble, bookending it. And that song actually is one of my favourite songs on the record now. It's great. So I'm not going to look too far into the singles that have been released so far, mainly because I don't want to because it's Corey Taylor and all of it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm on the same boat there, bro. Going to move on, Sam. Uh, mm. Bloodstock have announced pretty much most of the lineup that we can expect to see on the 11th to 15th of August 2021 at Caton Park next year. Um, yeah. So, thus, a lot of these acts are bought over straight from 2020. Uh, but thus far, we're looking at headline sets from Devin Townsend, Merciful Fight, and Judas Priest. And then scatter for it, you've got the likes of Skindred, Dimmy Borgia, Saxon, uh, Paradise Lost, Phil Anselmo and the Illegals performing a vulgar display of Pantera. Uh, Berry Tomorrow, Black Dahlia Murder, Silosis, Conjurer, Svalbard, uh, Ginger are there, Black Tongue are there. Sam, we were at Bloodstock last year uh, to see Parkway Drive's headline set. I, I yeah. don't think there is an alternative festival that gets their audience as well as Bloodstock do, man. Oh, I, I, com- I completely I mean, agree. There's, I mean, there's how definitely perfect, a certain, there's definitely <laughs> how perfect is how perfect is this lineup for your yearly Bloodstock gala? I mean, oh, mate, this is ideal. perfect for them. It's brilliant. Absolutely, absolutely ideal. The, the sea of white corpse paint is going to be <laughs> running like as if a, a, a giant mayonnaise tub was released on a field that's what it's going to look like this is extraordinarily good Barry tomorrow shouldn't turn up to this well you know what mate i'm really glad you brought that because that's what i was going to say mate Barry tomorrow stick out like a fucking sore thumb on this lineup they're going to need this to ridic- they're going to look like the spice girls in comparison to half of the bands on here they're going to need to really really bring it on that day now I'm, I'm trying to think back for, for Paradise Lost and Dimmu Borgia follow Barry tomorrow well obviously <laughs> like... we, 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 obviously the full lineup split hasn't been announced yet 
So we don't know exactly who follows Berry tomorrow yet. I hope it's of... not Paradise Lost and Dimu Borgia, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> Mate, I think it would be worse if it's Phil Anselmo. Do you reckon? Yeah. Uh, I'm, not too, I'm not too sure, simply because Berry Tomorrow are a modern metal band, and I think the worst situation is to have modern metal fans turn up to watch Berry Tomorrow, and then as Berry Tomorrow's set finishes and they start playing their concluding numbers, they are, those modern metal fans start to look around and realise they're surrounded by guys wearing top hats with goggles sewn on. And, and and they realise that the crowd is starting to change. That's the problem, is that near the end of Bury Tomorrow's 40 minutes, it's going to be, it's going to be full of Demo Borgir and Paradise Lost fans that are not prone to enjoying this kind of music, like, at all. Like, the, the, like if you followed, if Bury Tomorrow were behind, like, Park, Parkway, like they were, or Thought Murder, there's, like, a level of coalescence, but... If you put if you put Berry Tomorrow behind even even any of the other bands on this day, mate, or on on the, any of the other days, you could um, chuck them behind Skindred. Yeah, I, I think Skindred. I think Skindred is is, is a is, is a good one, but Sacred Reich, Glory no. Hammer, Saxon. Um, I actually think that the more you're more likely to find a metal fan who likes Berry Tomorrow and Pantera, such as myself and yourself, than you are to find a metal fan who likes Berry Tomorrow and Black Dahlia Murder. I think that's rarer. Or, or Berry Tomorrow and Glory Hammer. I don't think the person in the world exists who likes both of those two bands. <laughs> I just think that they're, they're so far on the other end of the spectrum. I've just, if I just, it just seems a really odd booking for them. It really, really does, especially. Considering that their songs haven't taken on any sort of tone in their last two albums that would suggest even remote a, cro- a remote crossover to some of the some of the fans that come here, and I th- I agree with you. I think that the be- the Bloodstock has nailed the Bloodstock audience. Absolutely nailed it. Judas Priest, Merciful Fight, and Devin Townsend is superb yeah. for that kind of audience. Really, really good. And there's loads of really great death metal and black metal bands in here but i do feel sorry for barry tomorrow I well really, really we we watched parkway headline uh bloodstock now parkway are in my opinion are on a much different level to uh, bury tomorrow in terms of uh, for a start quality of music uh, and secondly size however Crowd reaction was good to parkway drive and parkway drive were very much a, a left turn for Bloodstock, considering the type of festival that they are and the type of headliners that they have had headline the festival. So it's not completely foreign for Bloodstock to make these kind of attempts to, to you know, to widen their stance and, and put someone relatively new into the lineup. I think yeah. the best, I think the best possible run that would do Berry Tomorrow a favour would be Conjurer into Silosis, into Berry Tomorrow, into Skin Dread, into uh, one of the headliners, probably Devin Townsend. I, I think that would do the biggest favour of Berry Tomorrow. I think that, like you said, coalesces the most likely, the most likely group of people that all like the bands that they're that they're about to see on the same stage. But so yeah. it is, it is going to be interesting. I, I've got faith that Barry tomorrow would do a cracking set and will get well received. But obviously, there's always there's always the chance of like Barry tomorrow will turn up as like 
a group of really good looking guys that don't that perform modern metal slash modern metalcore, which sometimes is a dirty word in itself. They're surrounded by a group of like death metal, black metal bands and, and an audience that sometimes can't be the most welcoming. So I think things have the <laughs> I think things have the potential to go badly, but I don't think they will. You know, I think Buried Tomorrow will smash you. You know, like like there's always like a joke and expression about like people bringing their pitchforks and, and torches out when to describe people being generally unhappy with a thing and gathering in numbers. Yeah. But that's actually worrying when the crowd themselves could have actually brought their own pitchforks, like in the yeah. case of Bloodstock. Like, yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a real, there's a real problem. I, like, like we said, if Pantera, sorry, Pantera, if Parkway Drive felt like a massive left turn, if Barry Tomorrow are booked incorrectly in terms of placement, and I agree with you that that lineup you read out is is a good choice if you if you ran it that way. But like three other bands you listed are on a different date to Barry Tomorrow, and unless we're switching them around entirely, then we're going to have a bit of trouble. I think I, I I respect them for doing it, and I agree with you. I think they're terrific live bands, and and I thought the last album was pretty good. Um, but it's gonna it's gonna be really interesting to see how they are received and where they are actually placed because currently on the bill that doesn't look promising in terms of the their surrounding friends well i think buried tomorrow probably as heavy or heavier than ginger um so you know if we can have ginger on there then i i I think we'd get away with the with buried tomorrow in some in some cases they're even heavier than silosis obviously silosis are a completely different package altogether um so i I think that as an overall package for your bloodstock fan this is a bloodstock gets their audience so well this is a really really brilliant lineup and also black tongue on that second stage (laughs) that'll be fucking chaos i'd be i'd be fucking interested to see the absolute horrors that go down there uh we're gonna move on we're gonna move on sam Uh, we're gonna do some single reviews all right yumi at sixes uh make me feel alive uh the album's set to come out this year although they haven't Mm. given any specific dates to to my knowledge yet unless i've completely Mm. missed that uh i have seen in news pieces uh relatively recently that the band has said it'd be like oh it's our heaviest album since sinners never sleep or it's our riffiest album since sinners never sleep you know so i listen to this out listen to this track and, and i think this is a this is a really classic case of i mean yumi at six were the band that got me onto alternative music more than any other band i know that sounds ridiculous to say but I've said before, Green Day was the first alternative album I ever like really loved. But then I completely, I completely like just drifted away from listening to music altogether. Music wasn't a part of my life again until I was like seventeen. Then I massively got into You Meet Six, and then You Meet Six eventually becomes A Day to Remember, which becomes Parkway Drive, which becomes Metallica, and so on. Mm. And I, I, you know, You Meet Six hit absolutely huge, huge heights. They were. Uh, Cavalier Youth, which was their fourth record, number one album in the UK, doing headline arena tours with uh, doing co-headline shows at All Time Low. I saw Yumi Six headline Wembley Arena. I've seen them uh, at Capital Arena in Nottingham. Yumi Six were this huge, huge band, and I think the problem for Yumi Six, I think it, it, it absolutely has stood out on the last two records and stands out on this song. You meet six, like 16, 17, when they're writing these pop punks, 
tracks. And then I loved Yumi. I loved Yumi at six from the ages of 16 to 22. And then when I'm 22, I discover Parkway Drive and Metallica and Periphery. And these really more complex, like more intelligently written, brilliant aspects of metal and alternative music in general. And I kind of grew up and grew out of it. And that's what Yumi X6 have done. Yumi X6 are writing these pop punk and then anthemic rock out rock songs, but really uh, catered for a certain age demographic more than anything else. And then as they grew up, I'm like, oh, oh, we don't want to write like easy listening rock songs for the for the 16 to 20 year old anymore. We want to like mature our sound, but they're they're not good at that. Do you see what I mean? No, I where, do. Uh, you, go on. Where, whereas All Time Low, who are probably the band that I think you can relate closest to Yumi at Six in the sense of All Time Low are still now a number one. Uh, a number one a billboard bat topping band and i believe the last out al- one of the recent albums top the uk album chart as well they're still selling arenas across the world all time low went all in on the oh we'll just be a pop rock band now then and we'll still cater ourselves to a, a younger demographic which is no problem with by the way but what i'm saying is all time low's doubled down on catering for a younger demographic you meet six decided instead actually we, we don't want to cater to younger demographic now. We don't, we've grown up and don't like listen to this music anymore. We're going to try and be like a hard rock, kind, more complex band. And I, they're not good at it. I just don't think they are. Do you remember how bad Night People was, that album? that we I think we did it on Soundcheck. Fucking terrible. I, I do, mate. I do. And it, then it, they released it, six last well, year. And Sorry. And then they released six last year. Uh, no, sorry. They released six in 2018. And that was perfect. That was fine. It was all right. I, I saw them headline the O2 Academy Brixton and it was a sellout. They sold it a couple of nights, but that was only because they were, they were doing an anniversary of Take Off Your Colours, which was their first album. I don't think they do three head sellout nights at Brixton on, if, on, on any given night. I think it was only because they were touring uh, Take Off Your Colours. Uh, what do you think of this song, man? Make me feel alive. I, I, I don't feel this at all. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, I feel it feels like Yumi at six are that guy that when you went to school was the most popular guy in school, and he was like the captain of the football team. And then you meet him later, and you're like 27, and he's put on like five stone, and he's knocked his girlfriend up, and he's moving from job to job, and he's barely can keep a beard. And it's like, oh, and you walk away from it, going, man, I used to wish I was that guy, and now. And now he's like searching through his coins for the last point at half past 11, stumbling home and, and that, that sort of thing. And it feels like you meet six of that because you listen to this song and you think, well, that could have been really, really, really the next generational big, not rock band as such, but the next generational alternative music band that really British, British rock music has been crying out for for quite a long time. And instead, they either, like you said, matured and decided to change the, the tune entirely and then overthought it and went back or just com- just completely decided to abandon everything that made them good in a pursuit of a different type of audience. But then, then forgot the, the very things that made them successful in the first place. Now I, I accept, and we all, we always, we always do this and we always say like, look, me, me, me and you will say, Oh, we, we'd love to hear something different. And then if it's different and bad, we'll criticize it. Um, but, it's always nice to see the bands are trying to, to sort of spread themselves and change who they are and things like that. 
but this this very much feels like they went softer and that didn't work and then they've done this like weird overcorrection and that hasn't worked either um whatever they're trying to do i, I i'm not too i'm not too sure obviously but it just objectively isn't a very good song it, it's it's not particularly engaging or um just there's nothing remotely compelling or grabbing about this at all. The riff work is very simplistic. If this is the riffiest that they can do, this isn't even half as, as heavy as Cavalier Youth was at times. So I don't understand how this is their riffiest album. That just seems like a PR move. Um, it's just empty calorie, half indie, half rock and roll stuff that would have been all right maybe 15 years ago. But definitely now sounds really dated and just doesn't suit them at all. It, None of the strengths that they shown as a band 10 years ago have been remotely displayed in this song here. And I accept that they're trying to change a different direction, but obviously it's, it's for, for, for us and you, especially as the massive You Meet Six fan, it's just not working. It's not working. I think after 2011, which was when Sinners Never Sleep came out, they've got progressively worse. Cavalier Youth was their number one chart-topping behemoth-selling album which was a good record, but they'd started to become a bit more wooden and lose a lot of their naive, charismatic personality. And then by the time we get to Night People, that had just been completely drilled away. But by that point, they're just this really boring rock band that are trying to do something that, uh, again, it's like you, what you said, it, it feels harsh for us to constantly be looking for new bands to do new things and then criticizing them when they do i don't think me and you do that i think me and you always look at things objectively at the end of the day i res i understand why you meet six would do this they are now like us in our late 20s and they probably don't want to write pop rock songs anymore with really hooky choruses they they are they've moved on and instead want to write something more mature and grounded to them to the level that they're on but the the fact is, they're not good at it. This sounds like budget blossom era, Frank Carr and the Rattlesnakes for me. It's just not a, it's not a good song. And as soon as I, as soon as I read these news stories of it's our heaviest since there's never sleep, I just knew I, I knew I, I very yeah. much had the feeling that you uttered off that that's a PR attention grab, and we'll see. And and here we are. Obviously, not going to judge the record when it eventually comes out on one song. But man, I, I'm I'm pretty worried about this sound. Can be honest with you. I, I I agree. I think if if you meet six really wanted to push the boat out and really wanted to go further, then do something really off the wall. Like do like a Frank Carter and the Rattlesnake style thing, where you actually get really introspective and play like genuinely like go for really dark lyrics and atmospheric sort of ideas and sounds. And, and stop trying to simultaneously say you're heavy and quite clearly chase like a charting um, charismatic rock song at the same time. Sometimes both of those things can't coexist in certain circumstances. It just feels like they're trying to do everything but the one thing that they're good at. And that, that I, I, just, I accept it. I accept it because um, you don't want to be tied to a thing. It's like an actor. You know, once you like, play like two or three roles in the same sort of genre then you become that guy and it yeah. becomes very limiting and i understand that musicians might feel like the same thing like oh i'm so much better than this or, i can do all of these things and, and i accept that but not if you also want to sell out wembley arena 
Like, no, no offense. Like, if you want to do your own thing, you want to break away from what Yumi X6 are, then completely break away and try for a different style, maybe do solo stuff, whatever. Um, but if you go into the guise of Yumi at six and you want to maintain that audience and that level of success and move it forward genetically and organically, then you kind of got to retain something that keeps the audience there in the first place. And, and, and that's not what's going on here, unfortunately. Like I said, I, like, obviously, I, I actually... You're probably going to roll your eyes, but the Cavalier Youth is my favourite Yumi at six album. Because no, I, I think... More. Because I'm not into the pop-punk stuff necessarily as much as yourself and i'm not into this but cavalier youth felt like um well what i was like a bit like i felt a bit too cynical for pop punk in its purest form but i could accept the version of it that was on cavalier youth it felt like you know what i mean like pop punk for me that makes sense yeah and and that's 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 what it felt like um because i never got in at the ground floor when when you like you were talking like when Yumi at six were massively popular, I was already listening to like Trivium and, and Lamb of God and stuff like that. I had, I was on the different side of the spectrum. So this for me was Cavalier Youth for me was quite good. But this is honestly the 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 the, the biggest criticism I can face of it is aside all else, it sounds soulless. Yeah, and it, it sounds devoid of personality and it sounds repetitive. Um, I thought the video was pretty good. I, I, video I was cool. That, like. Yeah, you know, the POV walking down the alleyway with all the creepy stuff going on. I enjoyed that, actually. Um, but if I'm, if I'm talking about the cinematography of a music video in comparison to the song that's actually been played in the background, then I think that should reveal all of it. It just feels very empty calorie, like I said. There's not really a lot there. It feels a bit empty. And I'm not actually sure what their direction is. Um, if you were to... Obviously, we haven't heard the rest of the album, right? But let's assume the whole album's like this and it's like a 4 out of 10 and it's bad, right? In two years, you meet six, walk into the studio. What does that first meeting go like? What are they talking about? Well. Is it I've... like Michael Brake at that point? Well, if we look at the trajectory of their career, Cavalier Youth hits number one. I think Night People, off the top of my head, I think it finished fifth. And then six, the, the lightest record finished appropriately, sixth. <laughs> So it's it's very much been, and again, I, I, I say every time I mention album sales, album sales don't mean what they used to, but they are a barometer for success still, somewhat. No, you, you, you're absolutely right. But if you're using that then, compare it to the context of the moment. So Creeper, who've been around for what, three years, charted at number five. Yeah. Shouldn't you meet six be kind of disappointed if they're charting at the same position of a band that's been out for three years? Like in that context, we're not even talking about what what music styles are like now. But if you're Yumi at six, you should you should not be on the same success level as Creeper, should you? Yumi at six should be number one, right? Really, after Cavalier Youth, had they applied their cards right, Yumi at six would be like a headline, all-encompassing British rock band right now. And there were moments yeah. on Cavalier Youth. Which actually, there was one specific moment where even in 2014, when it came out, I thought if they build on this, they they are going to become even bigger. Uh, the song was called "Room to Breathe." Yeah. Uh, you, probably, you probably remember it, mate. The, le- the lead riff, yeah. ma- massive chorus, fucking brilliant. I absolutely adored that song. By far the best song on the album, and I thought. 
if they build on this and mature the sound and base it completely around the blueprint of this song, that they could progress even further and grow an even larger fan base and, and bring in the fans that originally would have had the middle finger up to them, such as yourself, with the pop punk yeah, stuff. Yes. Yeah. With the pop punk stuff, it would be so blase to you. And for you, just got nothing that you would find any interest in. You stick your middle finger up to it. Mate, put the, put the person that was sticking the middle finger up in a room, play them room to breathe and don't tell them the name of the band. And I think them they're like, this is great. Who's this? They didn't do yeah, that. They, they, they didn't do that. They completely dumbed down the sound and went for... If you remember Night People, me and you said back then it was kind of like chasing like a royal blood slash Arctic Monkeys kind of dark, yeah, dark, remember. dark plodding rock vibe. It just didn't work whatsoever. And it kind of... And Josh Franceschi, the lead singer of Unit 6, said in the, to his credit, said in an interview shortly after Night People was released... This didn't work. It didn't do what we hoped it would do. Quite clearly, we didn't write the correct songs. It's as simple as that. Now, fair, fair fucks for that. Because I don't think I've ever seen a, a band member ever do that before. It's so soon after an album. Obviously, you can, mm. you can grab a band member 15 years on and they'll say, oh, yeah, that record fucking sucks, isn't it? Can't believe we wrote that. But so soon after an album comes out, it's be like, oh, yeah, this didn't work. We made a mistake. We'll try and correct it next time. What happened was, for me, Night People was so damaging to their career that Six isn't that bad of an album. I don't think it's that much worse than Cavalier Youth, for my personal taste. But by that point, Night People had damaged the fan base so much that a load of the fan base had just completely disappeared and gone in other directions. And mm. what was left had to deal with the Six record, which some kind of liked. I mean, obviously I saw them, as I mentioned, headline the Auto Academy at Brixton. And you would expect this considering it was a, an anniversary show for Take Off Your Colours. But when they played the stuff from the new album, people were like, oh, fucking hell, I've got to sit through this stuff for a bit, have we? You know. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I've gone on some kind of massively critical tirade of You Meet Six there. And it's crazy considering they really are one of the bands that absolutely got me onto alternative music. But for me, I do feel it's sorry for them in the sense of, they're, they're writing the music that they genuinely believe in. Really, Sam, You Meet Six could still be writing the music that they were writing in 2011. And I think they'd still be a number one arena selling band if they were. But quite clearly, they don't believe in that anymore. They want to write what they do believe in, which happens to be this, which just happens to be music that I don't think they're very good at writing. So I really respect them, but I can't shy away from the fact that I just don't think this is good. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's absolutely fair. And there's, there's, a, I agree with you. There's a certain level of respect that you have to go um, with Yumi at six, just going sailing into the wind with this philosophy that will presumably fail. That <laughs> they are just, just massively invested in. It's like you might turn around to you and being like, "I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to start selling paintings that I make myself in my uh, my back room." And you've never seen him paint in your life, and you're like. Dave, I don't think that's a great idea. But he's like, no, no, no. Don't question my dreams, man. Like, this is what I believe in. And he's like, all right, Dave, that's cool. I'll quit in your job tomorrow. You've got a wife and kid at home, but that that's cool. Um, and it's, it's you've got to just respect the movement. But they they might they might be it might be a situation where there's like a band that come out in the last five years, and it's like, holy shit, you meet six are supporting, and it's going to be really weird. 
That's a real possibility, like in like five years. Like, is he be yeah. creeper supported by Yumi at six? Possibly. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. Like, or like when we saw, obviously, uh, Asking Alexandria support Parkway at Rock City. And we're like, yeah. fucking hell, times have changed here, haven't they? Yeah, precisely. I think there's a, there's a real possibility. But I agree with you. Good for them, lads. Go away and do what, do what makes you happy. And do what, do what you believe in. Um, we'll be over here listening and murmuring quietly to each other about it. Speaking of things that make you happy, Sam. Yes. New, new Deftones track. Um, oh, you actually had me in the first quarter. Oh, man. <laughs> like that like, gift. Oh, yeah. It's like, that, else. like that gift. They had just in the first half. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, I thought there was like a news piece that you'd kept from me deliberately to cheer me up. Oh, yeah. New Deftones. You're saying. Now, I'm going to assume, Sam, that yeah. this is pronounced Ohms. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think I think so. It's like O H N S. Is that right? O H M M for Michael S. Oh, so, oh okay, my bad. Oh, 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 I think Ohms. Yeah, Ohms. Ohms. Why does this keep happening to us? I mean, why do bands keep releasing songs that are hard to read? Couldn't you just call the single like... "Bread" just to do us a fucking favour? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyway, here's the new single from Death Towns. It's bread, <laughs> mate. It would be so much easier for me. Anyway, uh, it, it is the title track of the new album, which is out on September. From the 20th. band Love Tones. <laughs> <laughs> on the ye- on the Yeast uh, record label. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! We have to stop. Yeah, fucking out. Own this. Oh god! <laughs> All right, that's uh, it then. I'm, I'm, I'm not editing. I'm, I'm not editing this out. I'm leaving that in. Okay, that's fine. Title <laughs> track from the new album, Sam, out on September 25th. Uh, you are an <laughs> quite a vocal, <laughs> quite quite yeah. uh, vocally against Deftones. Yeah, Def, Deftones are one of the bands I'm going straight with. I have never actually properly listened to. I've said this many times. I got on. I got onto the boat of alternative music quite late. So there's loads of bands out there that I would say I've never. I've never really listened to. I'm aware of their size, but never really listened to. And a lot of people probably like, what? What the fuck? This is crazy. I think the biggest of the bunch would probably be Deftones. Just somewhere, you know, they were. Them and yeah, nine inch. Them and not. Them and nine inch nails are probably the two biggest bands that I haven't got a real great knowledge of. To which, to which would probably get me fucking battered depending on which street corner I turned down although me and you did say before and it's like a running joke that me and you had Death Towns are absolutely massive but I don't know a single fan we yeah, used to I, for real <laughs> I, do, I do know a few now but back then a few years ago when we were saying it's a huge but I've never met someone who likes them it's really fucking weird none of them go out they just sit at home <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> so at this point uh... <laughs> <laughs> Mate, will you stop? <laughs> yeah, okay. It's going to be the ninth record. Sam, okay. I'm going to be honest with you, I really, really like this. I think this is fucking great. Okay. I, I, I will... I said this when we reviewed the Loud album and I d- discovered how 
a lot of their music was inspired by Deftones and how you could draw really straight lines between Deftones and Loud. I really love that Loud record. I still listen to it quite often now. And I said to you then, I'm going to go check out Deftones. And then I had 60 other bands to check out. So it just falls by the wayside. But I'm actually going to make a legitimate effort to dive into Deftones from the back of this track. Not only because obviously we're going to review their album next month. I think this is really great. You, you are quite ardently against Deftones. And not yeah. make that seem like you've got like a personal distaste for them. You oh, just don't, yeah, I respect you, them. I respect yeah. them as an artist, you know what I mean? You just don't like them as a band. Uh, by which your responses and <laughs> disgruntled murmurs that you've heard as I've been speaking about how much I like the track, I'm assuming this hasn't done anything for you. It hasn't changed my opinion on them as a band. I'll tell you what, though. I listened to it and thought, man, if you're a Def Dance fan, you're going to really enjoy this. Um, and because... The thing is, I read through the comments and on the YouTube things, and that they've got loads of fans, and like the, the fans were loving it. This is like there were loads of fans commenting and saying, you know, they're the only band that never disappointed me. They're always really consistent, and they, you know, they're always come out and sound exactly the same, which is part of the problem for me because I hate how that sounds. <laughs> so, um, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just an aesthetic that doesn't appeal to me. But if you're a Deftones fan and you actually have a new song that comes out in 2020 and the Deftones have been out since, I want to say early to mid nineties and they still sound like to, to the new, to the fans like fresh and new and interesting. But at the same time, they've seemingly retained some of the stuff that makes Deftones popular with their fan base. I think that's extraordinary. Yeah. You can't actually say that a lot about any other band. And I'll tell you what, again, like with Biffy Clara, I'm going to have to split myself into two people um, and put the my actual personal opinion to one side and say, if I was a Deftones fan, I would love this. Because um, the things that you like about Deftones, if you're a Deftones fan, are number one, the vocals. Yeah. Now, for me, that, now for, for me personally, they don't work. But their vocals, I think, is, is it Chino Morenes or Chino Morelos? Chino Morena. That's it, Chino Morena. My, my bad. Um, he sounds brilliant. He does. Um, yeah, he sounds he sounds exactly the same as he did in nineteen ninety five, um, which again, not to my taste. But um, if you're a Deftones fan, that's incredible because that's like thirty years ago, um, and he still sounds this good. It's really well mixed. Uh, the guitar sound is really, really, um, really, really full to the floor. It sounds really heavy and gothic. It's a well produced um, music video. And if you're a Deftones fan, I think you're really excited for the new album. I think this does absolutely everything. It's not going to change. It's not changed my opinion on Deftones. I, will, I don't think I'll ever enjoy them. They're just dull to me. Um, but if you're a big Deftones fan and big into this style of music, um, then you are going to absolutely love this album. And I've got lots of timber and films that you probably really enjoy as well. Because my frame of reference for Deftones is so thin, I haven't actually got a massive amount to add to that. Uh, I love the chord progression on the bridges of the track. Uh, I think produced phenomenally. Chino's, uh, from my taste of him here, is a brilliant vocalist. It's interesting, unique, heavy, really fun to listen to. And I'm going to really... You know, Deftones' uh, White Pony is just fucking lauded over everywhere all over uh, the internet in terms of every corner of alternative music adores that record and, and seems to adore Deftones. I, I always see Sam Carter of Architects talking about how amazing Deftones are and how much he loves White Pony. Sin Lowe talk about how much Deftones influenced them. I think it's absolutely absurd that with the amount of bands that I listen to, 
and the amount of bands that I've got into over the last four or five years, I've been listening to metal and uh, like alternative music in a more broad sense, that Deftones aren't one of them. So I'm going to jump into them from this. We are going to review the new record when it comes out uh, 25th September. And I, I, I really like this track. Uh, it'll be hilarious, I think, if come September, within the space of just over a month, I'll have made you objectively listen to Biffy Clara album and objectively listen to a Deftones album. I'm here for it. That would be objectively hilarious, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Sam, for the Breaking Band segment, this, yep. for me, is one of, is probably the most break, the most interesting, I know we've only done three so far, but this is definitely the most interesting Breaking Band segment that we've done so far. Uh, the band, mm-hmm. DRP, to which I originally thought, Sam, when I first heard about them, would be Cult Drop. Uh, it is not. <laughs> uh, that stands for Clit Drip. As you can so uh, clearly hear. That was my next guess. (laughs) As you can so clearly hear from the uh, opening track from the record Without the Eyes, which is the album that we're going to be talking about now. Uh, It's the band's debut record out on August 28th via Small Pond Recordings. Uh, They're a feminist punk trio. We've got members from Toronto, uh, a place in Greece, which I believe was called Drama, if I remember correctly, and Southampton. Uh, If you're wondering how on earth, (laughs) if you're wondering how on earth they could possibly have come together, I believe they met at uh, Brighton university uh, so that's how that happened uh, so i first heard about this band through the ever talented uh, dan hillier who is a writer for noise who often talks about bands that he's really into and me and him tend to have a very 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 similar music taste so i was like right okay i'm, I'm gonna check these out and that's where I, I thought this would be an ideal moment for us to talk about without the eyes on the podcast uh sam this yes. is this is very very extrovert punk. I really like this. Is this too far out there for you? No, no, I quite like this in parts as well. Um, this is something my dad would really like. Um, I was going to say but... this. Your dad loves that early punk stuff, right? Surely he'd be all about this. This is this. Yeah, it sounds a bit like the fall with a female feminist vocalist. Um. Um, yeah, I, th- I think this is obviously it's super interesting. I think what I will say is that um, she, the vocalist, the main vocalist, she is the star of the show by a fucking mile. Annie Dorrit. Um, um, she's sensational. Um, every every song on this album, like sort of, just exudes her personality and sense yeah. of humor and lyricism and charisma. Just every single song. Every single, every single one, um, from 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 I don't want to go to the gym to my father to all all every single song has these just incredible examples of her sense of humour and her her lyricism um, that completely seem to juxtapose the the set the sound of the band. Now, obviously, the the, the band have deliberately cultured their sound together to, to sound this sort of muffled abrasive electro punk staccato raw type of way um to sort of either emphasize their message or really appeal to a specific type of punk audience or whatever it might be and i actually think it works really really well um i think if you'd have put this like through a normal studio producing situation and it would have sounded like very polished or whatever it would have taken away from what this album is now 
that is to say that there aren't criticisms to this album. I think there are some parts of this that are so abrasive to listen to that they put me off a little bit in terms of the structure of the songs and the way that the songs are played. But at its best, I think this is, it's, it's, it's really heavy in its own way um, in terms of like the lyrical content and so sort of the styles of the riffs and some of the percussion elements. Um, like, I, like I said, I, I, I really like, I don't want to go to the gym. I really like Zoom 20. Like yeah. it's, it, it's, it's dripping with like sexuality and freedom throughout this whole album and her ability to just, I don't know. Like I feel, I feel like, I feel like I'm listening to this album and I'm, it's like I'm hearing the collective voice of like loads of like loads of girls that I know in my life, like yeah. people, pe- like women that I respect, like sort of strong, independent women um, and powerful and opinionated women. And this feels like an, an, almost like a calling cry for these, but it's also not told in a way where I feel like as a, because when, when you hear like the words feminine punk, you think, oh, naturally, am I going to listen to this and just be shouted at for 40 minutes? Um, and that's not happened. No. Nah. It's not like she, no, there's not 45 minutes of first saying that all men are dicks and arseholes and I'm feeling like nah, objectified nah. almost by her, by her anger. I'm actually listening to this and there's like a sense of humour and there's an element of charisma and there's something really, really compelling about here. So like, Songs like where where the boys are and like skin remover actually reminds me a little bit of Blondie, but with like a, a darker twist. Um, and and obviously songs like Speak to My when she's talking about areas of her body and her I personality love that. and stuff like I that. Lo- I love I, that track. I, it's it's really 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 impressive. Um, I think that these have a chance to be really really great. I think unfortunately the the, the sadness that we live in and the the the, the world weariness that we're associated with is that either two of things will happen is that they will be minimized because they're painting themselves as feminist punk and people won't even give them a go because of that first two words or people will promote them because they're feminist punk and then there'll be a whole narrative where people are criticizing the people that are promoting them because they're like we well, are only promoting that band because they're feminists and there's this whole narrative that exists on social media where no one will actually just say can you just shut the fuck up and listen to how good the band are please and and that and that might I worry that that sort of thing will dilute them. But by listening to the album, it doesn't really sound like they're the sort of band that really cares about that sort of thing either. So absolutely, um, that that that's fine with me. Like, a, bottom line, bottom line, um, this is more enjoyable than I thought it was. It's funny, it's witty, it's intelligent, um, it's charismatic, it's well put together. I think there are points where it does get a little bit abrasive, deliberately so, um, and there are some points of it that I'm not always too keen on. Um, like, always like Mother Better. I felt like by the time they got to that, where it changed tempo so much, I felt like they were almost overthinking it and like going too far to just be deliberately abrasive to the point where it actually put me off the song overall. I think when they find a balance between punk, um, rock blueprints and their lyricism and the way that they try and strung their songs together, when they find a working balance, between those two or three things, this is really, really great. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm into this, man. I, I hope they do well. Mate, I love the intelligence of this album. It's so clever. And yeah. it's so unusual as well. This is like fucking part Prodigy, this record. I've got loads of Prodigy vibes from this. Like, a, That's an a, interesting one. Part of this record is like being in a fucking underground EDM rave. Which I, I think is so well juxtaposed to certain lyrical themes of the song. 
You mentioned oh, I don't want to go to the gym. I love that song. It's basically this attack on a lot of the stereotypical things you will hear from certain generational groups. There's this one lyric, uh, maybe I'll hate my tattoos in a couple of years, which really struck a chord with me because I'm someone that's quite heavily tattooed and I used to work, when I worked at Game, and I was, very, I was customer facing all the time. There would be, you know, a fair few people would bring it up to me. And some people would just be like, oh, um, did your tattoos hurt? And they'd just leave it at that. And then you would get, uh, I'm not going to say specifically what generation here, but you, I'm pretty sure people can imagine. You would get the certain generation that would be like, you know, those will be on you forever, don't you? You know, and like, what are you, you going to do when you're 50 and you think you look stupid? I'm like, I don't know, man, I'll fucking cut my arms off. What do you want me to say, bro? Um, and... and <laughs> And so, so that, that I thought was really interesting. And also, what I love about maybe I don't want to go to the, uh, um, sorry, I don't want to go to the gym, is this whole narrative on social media, which you find a lot of, of who's got the biggest six pack. And, but, you know, you search on Google once for what's a healthy breakfast, and then you'll see 600 adverts on your social media for get this equipment to do this to yourself. Or you, if you do this, you'll end up with really like rock hard obliques and that kind of stuff. So I thought that was really clever. I got Lizzie Hale of Hailstorm vibes from Annie Durrett, the vocalist. Um, That's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. Especially in the moments where she's the centerpiece and the musical dulls down while she's just like running off this kind of diatribe of whatever lyrical theme she's speaking about at that, at that point. I got a lot of Lizzie Hale. Uh, Seesaw was probably the one that I probably aligned to Prodigy the most. The, the proper like EDM kind of breakdown when she screams, uh, you sucking the life out of me. It's genuinely something you could hear at a rave or something. And then you've got uh, phase one or Skrillex ideas that would kind of drop those kind of mixes in that kind of EDM vibe, which I, I, I really loved. And like you mentioned, man, there's a real sarcasm and wit to this record, kind of like Sam listening to Bon Scott, ACDC, a lot of, lot of really like clever out there ideas that are spun in a really intelligent way. So that, I mean, we were, we were talking about back in black, weren't we? Uh, and about, let me cut your let me cook, uh, cut your cake with my knife. I'm like, oh fucking hell, this, this does not feel uncomfortable to listen to now. And I don't think Click Drip ever go that far here, but they do, like you say, stand up for this really independent, strong female voice. And I think it's I think it's fucking great. Me and you the other day, Sam, were talking about WAP by Cardi B. Yeah, which we have absolutely no problem with the existence of, but. It's not a, objectively. It's not a good song, and it's not particularly. No. It's not an intelligent song either. This this record actually stands up and speaks for ideas that need to be discussed. It adds uh, an extra voice to, I don't know, voices against misogyny, against sexism, and against and embracing your sexuality as a woman. But it does it really intelligently. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I would agree. I think the the, the way that this has been the way that this has been written, uh, I think is 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 really really interesting. And I I, I I agree with you. Now, there's there's nothing wrong with obviously, like you said, with, with any expansion or sorry, any explanation or any expansion of of, of feminine independence or freedom or, or sexual rights, anything like that. Um, massive supporter of all of those things. Um, but I think 
WAP in comparison to something like this, they completely oppose each other in terms of the, the, the way that that message has been put across. And I would much happier align myself with something like this presented in this way than, than the former, um, simply because it, it feels like it's real, really contributing to the conversation. And it is a real response to some of the social issues that, that still exist for a lot of people. Um, I, I, ideas about um, fitness and image and um, identity um, mixed in with gender roles and stuff are still things as a society we're figuring out. And when she places them against the backdrop of this sort of chaotic punk sound, I think it really, really works. Um, I think, I think though, I, I am so, I am so impressed with the vocalist, but I am also convinced that if if you, it, it needed a vocalist like her to carry this off. Yeah. If, if the vo- if the vocalist was like five percent less talented or charismatic, or the because she's got a certain type of voice, man. Like there's a there's like a huskiness and a bluesiness to her voice that really suits this and really juxtaposes this. If you had like a standard punk rock vocalist, even a standard female punk rock vocalist that was just matching the riffs in like a staccato style, this would sound really dull really quickly. Yeah. And there are there are, there are points without her vocals where the riffs on their own aren't strong enough, but they're okay. But they, what they are essentially is a, a, an interesting backdrop to her. And she is, she's the star of the show, which I know is not very punk in general to have a, have a front man as a star of the show, but that, that's the unfortunate circumstance here. Um, yeah, this is, um, this is really good. If you're, if you're a fan of light seventies um, punk rock and also some of the early eighties, new wave stuff, this is like that mash together with a female vocalist, I think there's a, there's a real place for this in, um, in 2020 music. I think this is really interesting. I love the vulnerability of the record as well. Uh, I Kill For Nothing, uh, I suspect, is about the breakdown of a friendship or a relationship of sorts. And like you said, this isn't 40 minutes of men are dickheads, I hate all men, men are all misogynist, sexist bastards. There is a genuine vulnerability to this record where Annie is speaking about things that she's done wrong as well and things that she would like to change about herself, which I think is really fucking clever. I really like this record. It's really funny, intelligent, interesting diatribe of being open with sexuality, uh, against misogyny, sexism, race, any form of prejudice in in general. I thought this was fucking great, man. Um, I I really, really recommend this. There's a, there's a, like you said, there's a few women that we know I would tap on the shoulder and be like, you, you really need to listen to this album. It's You would fucking yeah. love this. I imagine we're thinking of the same women, to be honest. Uh, 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 yes, we absolutely are. I've got no doubt. <laughs> on to uh, record reviews for the episode, Sam. Diamond Constructs DCX2. Uh, yeah. Out on August 28th via Grayscale Records. I'm not massively knowledgeable about Diamond Construct stuff. From what I've heard from the self-titled record, which came out last year, um, it was a bit more tech metal and North Lane based than this EP. So DCX2 signals something of a, a shifting direction for the band. Um, I suppose the, the title of DCX2 is quite uh, apparent and apt here. Uh, they brought in a permanent DJ, uh, Callum Nichols, who adds like samples and effects to the music. It's pretty obvious what I'm going to say about this, Sam, isn't it? I should really pass to you first. We both love this, don't we, Chris? Oh, mate. I mean, fucking hell, dude. This is just for me. <laughs> this is just for me, isn't it? Um, I, I am, I've got to say, I'm a little bit surprised that you're really openly into this. I wasn't sure whether this would be a bit too too far for you. Uh, but I'm fucking no, no, I, I, I'm glad that you are. 
No, I adore this. It's like the members of Dealer and Alpha Wolf got into a fight at a Skrillex concert. Yeah, fucking great. I love this. Uh, I was I was in about thirty seconds in. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to I just want to give a PSA to any metal bands that are listening to this. If you do a tense opener on an album where there's like atmospheric music and then just the vocalist starts screaming on his own and then the breakdown kicks in, chances are I'm going to throw myself out of a window <laughs> yeah. with light. Yeah. Like because every time that happens. I'm in. Polaris did this on Pride for Rain, and I, I was fucking amazed. This is sensational. This is really, really, really good. Um, I just there's there's just a beautiful blend here of electronics and chaotic riffs. Like it doesn't give you a room to breathe at all. I think obviously, I think generic is the highlight for me. The album. Yeah, it is. Um, it's just hard. It's just it's just hard as fucking nails. Uh, punches right out the great. As, honestly, as impressive an opener as I've heard from any band all year in terms of just really kicking me in the throat. One of the most impactful um, openings I've ever heard uh, this year. Um, there's a Enigma um, where you mentioned Northlane. That was the first moment where I thought, oh, now they sound a bit like Northlane. I didn't want to think of that at the start because when I read they're Australian, I was like, please don't compare them to Northlane. Don't compare them to Northlane. But the moment I heard the vocals, it had that vibe to it. But at the same time, there was a melody, but at the same time, it was melody, but it doesn't feel melodic. There was haunting. There was a haunting quality to the melody that I thought really suited the atmosphere of the songs and the riffs. Um, the breakdown at the end, uh, near the end of, of Enigma, is just astonishingly good. There's um, almost like a Corey Taylor, Iowa era slipknot feel to some of the melodic sections as well, where it feels very sort of... Um, self-referential and really sort of negative and i actually just absolutely love that and um psychosis the next song psychosis i think the line before it kicks in was broken ties suicide going out my fucking mind and i was just like yes yeah i was so i was so in um because what this does for me is whereas other bands that sound a bit like this but aren't as electronic there's i always listen to it thinking i wish you wish there was somewhere else to go and i find itself a little bit repetitive after a while but this absolutely has other places to go. It's just, it's just four songs of complete bustling, brimming with energy, chaotic riff work, incredible percussion and change the tempo. I want to say as well, um, metal drumming, I think over the last five years is reaching a standard that is astonishing to listen to as, a, as, a, as just a, anyone that's ever picked up a pair of sticks. The, the changes of tempo and styles here and just the ability to play so fast and, 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 and chaotically, I think it's just extraordinary. I think this is brilliant. I'm going to go back and listen to Diamond Construct now more often than I have done because I think this is, this is really, really, really good. This has been really impressive. I, I've really enjoyed this. Mate, compare this to that Crossfaith EP that we reviewed and this, oh yeah man World this part mate this swallow this fucking gets that crossfaith ep chews it up and spits it out within the first 30 seconds i've got to say mate that generic and this is going to seem like ridiculous like absurdly high praise i don't think i've ever heard a song sound better on my headphones than generic Oh the yeah, this this uh, this was bursting out my speaker man it was huge mate the way that song has been mixed i cannot believe it sounds like I've got these like really expensive beats and a lot of songs sound brilliant in them. The way this fucking song's generic sounds is fucking phenomenal. Um, and I'm completely with you, man. This, this EP 
is absolute straight fucking blitzkrieg fire. Um, yeah. Adding in a DJ to a hardcore band, obviously that can go one of two ways. It can be really derivative and be too much of a distraction, I suppose, at times. The balance is struck perfectly. Callum Nichols, the DJ, his samples and FX are so fucking brilliant. And everything just saying the tempo of this EP. I mean, mate, this is 15 hard minutes, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This is superb. I agree, I agree with you that, that what happens when sometimes when you're building like a, a DJ and an FX guy is that bands end up thinking, well, he's in the band now. We've got to write songs for him. And then you end up struggling to fit it in. It sounds kind of odd, but this is like a perfect marriage of what the riffs can be and what this 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 FX and, and sound engineer guy can do and DJ can do with the sort of music here. It's a perfect bridge. I agree with you. These, these are 15 minutes that does not feel like 15 minutes. It, 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 I can't really explain. It just feels like a whirl, a blistering whirlwind of of hardcore heavy of, of hardcore music here. And I think. It's just sensational. Honestly, it really, really is. I, I wish it was a full album. But at the same time, I actually feel, I probably feel that I probably enjoyed it more. But it's an EP that it feels like all of this riff work has been encapsulated into such a small sort of timestamp. Um, honestly, this is, this is really, really surprised me. I thought this, I, I had a horrible feeling this would be another sort of generic hardcore band or a bit of electronics here and there. and I'd be bored. But this has been absolutely superb. Absolutely superb. I just want to reiterate how brilliant this is. It really is fantastic. There were moments where I thought it was going a bit Attila-esque and I was starting to get a bit concerned. A couple uh, of rap moments weren't there on Psychosis, was it? And there's one on Enigma, one on Enigma as well. Uh, and I'm not sure where, how well the vocalist thrives in an area where his melodic vocals are put to the forefront. However, uh, this is the band's first empty outing in this style. So there's plenty of time for that stuff to be work on, to be worked on. Um, you know, you mentioned you kind of wish this was an album. Mate, we got that fucking Alpha Wolf record coming out next month. So, and, and this, like you said, sounds like the members of Deer and Alpha Wolf got in a fight. And I, I think that's a very apt comparison. Yeah, I, I'm very excited I, for that. I really, I really, really love this. Like I say, the occasional Vatilla vibes, I'm a bit sceptical of, but it never becomes arbitrary or incredibly cheesy. Luckily, I was worried it was going to go in that direction, but it doesn't usually, because the second after they're done with like the rap stuff, there's usually a fucking skin-removing breakdown that just comes out and now about just any kind of concern you had 10 seconds ago is removed because your head's getting kicked in. I could, I could recommend this EP to so many people. The, the first person ever recommended uh, Diamond Construct to me, Sam, was uh, Kelsel. Kelsel told me I'd really... No like, shock of whatsoever. Course, of course. Kelsel told me I'd really like them. Again, like I mentioned with Deftones, I had to listen to 60 other bands. It just got lost, uh, it lost in the mix. Obviously, this EP comes around and the time couldn't have been better. And I, I really love... <coughs> I really love this. I think what I'd imagine what an album would come in 2021, early 2022. And mate, I think we're going to be all over it. 
this is, like I said, you, if you listen back to the self-titled record, which came out last year, it's good, because I've listened to it like in fleeting uh, once I heard this EP. It's good. Plenty of decent stuff on it. This is another world. This is this is such a massive, massive step up. And adding the sample and effects guy, Callum Nichols, has done fucking wonders for this band. I can't wait for what comes next. Completely agree with this. Sounds very modern. Sounds perfectly encapsulated for a 2020 hardcore metal fan. Just really, really well suited. So close out episode 47, Sam. Self-titled Oceans of Slumber record. Uh, it's out on September 4th via Century Media Records. I suppose, Sam, considering they are relatively of the same genre and they're both on the same record label, I should ask you first whether you prefer this to Black Crane Initiates' Violent Portraits of a Doomed Escape. Oh, I do. I don't think it's close. Right, you much prefer this? Oh, yeah, this is this is amazing. Right, okay, see, so I don't. I actually prefer Violent Portraits of a Doomed Escape. Oh, Chris... <laughs> Yeah. Chris, yeah. Oh, the, I think this is a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. This mate, is like an album of the year contender for me. Um, mate, uh, that is amazing. Uh, please fill me. Um, I, I don't even know if I don't even know where to start. Um, I, I just, I just think it's stunning. I just think it's absolutely beautiful. First and foremost, I've fallen in love. Um, with the female vocalist voice. I think her name is um, Cammy Gilbert. Gilbert. Yeah, yeah. Um, she is amazing, incredible. Um, the moment the soundtrack to My Last Day came in, it was a combination of powerful and haunting, ethereal. Her voice just cuts through the mix here. Um, and then there's these powerful sliding riffs that mix in with that. I just, musically, I'm just mesmerised and by her and, and the way that this sounds. Pray for Fire comes in right afterwards. And I think that is just intangibly beautiful. Just there's an extraordinary change of pace in it, but I'm so hypnotized and mesmerized by her voice. Every time she comes on and I hear her with this massive backdrop behind her, that I'm just, I'm just in love with how this sounds. This, this feels immediately huge, immediately important, immediately impactful. Um, this is one of the best prog metal releases I've heard in a long time. I've actually been, um, unbeknownst, to, unbeknownst to you, because obviously I want to talk to you about it, I've been sending messages out to friends of mine that are, as actually, that I think would really enjoy this, um, saying when this comes out, you've got to check it out, you'd be really into it. And, and it's made me really, really exciting. Uh, Return to the, the Earth Below has got some mix where it starts to talk about more black metal, where it has these incredible drum fills mixing in once again with these incredibly powerful, massive vocals over this massive drum beat. It's just, it's so, I don't know, I, 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 don't, I don't get why you don't like it as much, actually. I think this is immediately capturing, and I was literally mesmerised from track one to the end, just straight the way through. And I know that at times it delves into some parts that I'm not a massive fan of. Like, there's, port, there's parts near the end where it's like, um, I think it's called, uh, total, total Failure Apparatus, where it goes very black metal near the end of that song, and it's very slow and very opethy. And that's not for me. But the minute it starts getting back to her and this massive chorus feel, I just, I'm just in love with it. Honestly, I think this is incredible. I think musically it's beautiful. I think lyrically it's impressive. I think, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it really. Like I'm almost lost for words at times with how good this is to me. 
is that I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm listening to whatever music should be in a backdrop of some beautiful setting. Like it just feels so picturesque and massive and significant and impactful. Um, I, I'm, I am, I am won over by this. I'm, this is like astonishingly good, like mesmerizing, really, really in. I think my problem, Sam, doesn't stem from the fact that I don't think this is a great prog metal record. Dude, I don't like prog metal. So it, it, it's, it's very difficult for me to find a record that I'm massively in on. Uh, I understand. I, I know this is in a different world to Alpeth. But again, I understand the, the greatness of Alpeth and what they've done for the drama and, and their, their ability to bring, just bring swathes of people. Yeah. In, in, it has Alpeth vibes, though. This does. Definitely. And because I'm not big on prog metal, you know, really, my issues with this album are with the genre that they're in, which obviously is not Oceans of Slumber Fault. Slumber's Fault. They're a prog metal band, so that there's not there's not really much they could have done here that would that would have so, got me in. So where I listen to it and I think this is expansive and beautiful, do you listen to it and think this is slow and lumbering? <laughs> A bit, mate. I mean, fucking yeah. hell. Like, by the time, uh, I think it's track five, the adorned, fathomless creation comes in. It's, yeah. like, it's like 25 minutes. It's like 25 minutes in, and I'm like, fucking hell, man. This second... Like, uh, uh, I feel like I'm being rude here, but like for me, prog metal, just fucking... It's like, where is the chase, and when can I cut to it? Like, prog metal. <laughs> <laughs> prog metal for me. Fuck me, it takes forever. And that, that, like, that's the same with me with, like, all the hardcore music that you like, though. I'm like, where's the solos? Where's the length? Where's the right. expansion? And yeah. That, that's why we differ. Yeah, so, I mean, that, and this is great, really. And I, these are reviews that we do. I kind of love the most, where, where we differ so much. I mean, for me personally, mate, by the time that the Adorn Fanless creation comes in, I am absolutely begging for something different. And thankfully it has. Out of fucking nowhere, mate, this fucking death metal switch up comes in. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. This, this has literally completely turned on its head. I mean, um, there is a really beautiful slick solo on it that gives way into like a hardcore riff slash breakdown segment. And now I'm fucking in. And now I'm like, fucking hell, where has this been for the last 25 minutes? I've been waiting for you to do something really interesting for ages. And Cammy Gilbert, <laughs> Cammy, Cammy Gilbert, she's a, she is an absolutely fantastic vocalist. She's got a beautiful voice. And so when the, when the Adore and Fathomless Creation ends, I'm thinking, right, okay. So they did their really 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 long prog metal stuff for the first for the first Which i can four, tell you enthusiastic about for the first four <laughs> tracks and, and and now they're going to complete they're going to start doing a bit of more of a rhythmic gear change now and i've got no i was thinking of course she's still going to be the lead but they're going to switch it up a bit more and then onto the sea really gorgeous uh, almost like a john frashante-esque solo opens it I'm thinking, beautiful, wasn't it? Uh, gorgeous. Amazing. And I'm thinking, right, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, okay, here's, here's Cammy again, and they're doing these really long build-ups, but they'll switch it up in a minute, and they don't. And it's back in, and it's back into this like really long, lumbering, fucking... Top, me watching the clock, thinking, fuck me, this song's been on forever. <laughs> like, build-up. Oh, can, my God. 
And I, and I think the re, I think the reason why I prefer Black Crane Initiate to it is because Black Crane Initiate is like so much harder. Like, and, and although there are moments of this which do, which are absolutely brutal, like Black Crane Initiate for me is a much more violent, like abrupt, fucking muscly record as opposed to this. Oh. <laughs> I think you meet Ted. <laughs> they're really I cannot possibly deny that this is an incredibly musically impressive record I mean there are moments on this like on uh, I Mourn These Yellowed Leaves of, if I, I remember correctly this really like, gorgeous piano track gives way to this really dark black metal vocals really interesting and if you pick this album apart into like segments there's loads of interesting really like musically perplexing stuff that's written but mate an hour an hour and 11 minutes this album is and it for me it did not feel it but yeah man that that i, I can understand because like you said it's not it's not in your wheelhouse really mate um, i felt i felt 29 by the time this album ended <laughs> oh dude see i was listening to this and i was just i was lost in it I was immediately like entered into this sort of world that they've created. It just didn't grab me. Did you expect me to like this? You know me well. You must have thought that oh, this isn't going to be for Chris. Yeah, I did. I did. I did think that it didn't do enough for you at parts. But I thought that oh, you know, he likes periphery. You know, he likes some prog stuff. Maybe, maybe he's like you know, musically this is really great. Um, but yeah, I think. If it has the word metal in, I think you've got a certain certain mindset and expectation and hope for that album. And if it's not fulfilled, um, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily work for you. But for me, for me, mate, I thought this is majestic. Honestly, like I I can't I can't praise this higher. Um, I think this is just amazing. I, from start to finish, I was just immediately in, and it was really transporting and beautiful. I think some moments on here, some of the choruses and some of her vocals are just transcendently gorgeous, like just incredible, incredible pieces of music. And I, I don't care whatever genre you put it in. I, I just enjoyed this as a passage of music and a, a combination of themes. And I was just listening to this and just thoroughly enjoying it from start to finish. Honest to God, this is album of the year contender for me. I've, I've fell in love with this. This is beautiful, I think. Absolutely beautiful. How much, how far from Fear Inoculum is this record for you? How far from yeah. Fear Inoculum? Or do you think it's um, better? Or do you think it's better? No, no, no. I, it's it's a very different album. Obviously, it's a different type of prog, isn't it? Um, like Tool and, and Tool and this. I'd, I'd need to re-listen to Oceans of Slumber uh, a few more times. And I'm, I'm, after this argument, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to it and, and sort of cross my arms and stare angrily at the wall. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I think by the end of it, I'm probably gonna prefer Tool simply because. I think I prefer them as a band. I prefer that type of music a little bit more. But this this is the this is the most I've enjoyed like a progressive extreme metal album since Shadow of Intent. And because that had prog metal vibes, didn't it? Not not to this extent. I was gonna say, I mean um, it did ma- it did matter, but it didn't sound like this. No, it did it didn't sound like this. Um and obviously it goes a little bit harder at times. But yeah, this is this is this has been a real eye opener for me now because the thing is, is I've listened to a lot of prog metal before and I don't like Opeth, really. Uh, and I'm not a massive fan of Dream Theatre um, because, frankly, the, the musicianship doesn't always cover up the vocals. The vocals are never that great. 
Um, whereas this, I think the vocals are superb. I think she is magical to listen to. And I think that the musicianship complements her perfectly. I just find myself just falling, I find myself falling in love with it. I, I really feel like it's, it's done what a great rock metal album should have done for any listener, which is pick you up, take you from where you are and drop you into this, this world and really expansive musical creation. Um, and I think this has done that wonderfully. I am, I am well in. I think, you know, you referred to it then as like an like our arguments that we've had. I actually don't disagree with you. I think this album is, a, you know, a technical marvel, but I don't like prog metal. So it, it's very difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult for this record to, to gain any kind of real deep understanding and appreciation from me. Because I don't like right from right from ground level, base level, oceans of slumber. I don't I don't like the genre of music that they're in. So it's very difficult. The only thing I really, the only thing I can really relate it to, mate, is the same is similar to what we've been talking about for the last for earlier in this episode and at the end of the last episode. Biffy Clara and Deftones for you, it just doesn't click. You just don't get it. You're like, okay, yeah. I don't understand. Like. I appreciate that they're huge and, you know, a lot of the stuff is clever, but I don't see, listen, I don't see what you're seeing. And it's exactly for me here with like prog metal. Like the, I, I listened to this album today on the walk back from my girlfriends, which is about an hour, in, an hour long. And obviously I listened to the album a couple more times as well. Four tracks left when you got home. And I was like, I thought, I thought, fucking hell, it's still, it's still not just the fourth track and I'm like a quarter of the way home. Like, this is fucking crazy. And a lot of it just doesn't, there are like moments on this, on this album that like Oceans of Slumber and Mouse Prog Bands, they really reward you for your patience. And mm-hmm. they kind of, it's kind of like, you know, a great thriller movie, right? Where they give you a little bit of a taster of who the real who the real villain is, and then you're sat pondering about you know what the who the villain could be and how it will be revealed and that kind of stuff. And then once the villain is revealed, it's like this: holy shit, fucking hell! No, I didn't expect that, or didn't expect that person. And that's exactly what Oceans of Slumber do here. So they really like tease you in, and then once they get to the main centerpiece is really like expansive, intelligent, interesting stuff. But for me, an eight minute long song, if you're not Metallica, you've got a really difficult job. I mean, if you're not Metallica or Periphery and it's eight minutes long, you've got a real difficult job of keeping my attention. And that's nothing to do with other than I'm not into prog metal. So like I say, unless it's Metallica or Periphery, it's going to be a task. Fair enough. But with that said, I w- there's loads of people I'd recommend this to. And Ocean Slumber are quite clearly a great band. Just for me. I don't really know what else to say. I'm not a prog metal fan. It's impossible almost for a prog metal fan band uh, to really win me over. Apart from, actually, relatively recently, Rivers of Nile. I really like Rivers of Nile. So they just needed to have a saxophone. Into this, and then that of well, uh, uh, well, I think there are some different elements as well. But uh, yeah, so actually... come on, slumber, where's Baker Street? 
Rivers of Rivers of Nile, Periphery, Metallica. If you've got an eight-minute-long song and you're not one of that one of those three bands, it's going to be a struggle for me. But Alison Sunbat, undoubtedly a great band, and this is undoubtedly a great prog metal record that wasn't for me. Fair enough, bro. That closes out episode 47 of the Noise Podcast. We're not quite done yet, Sam, because you are about to reveal who is going to come sixth in our greatest metal album of all time. This is going to be next Tuesday's episode. The sixth greatest metal album of all time is The Black Album by Metallica. Absolutely beautiful. So next Tuesday, me and Sam are going to do a full in-depth look at Metallica's The Black Album. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you are still uh, listening to us at this point, we appreciate it very much. Give us a like and a subscription on whichever podcast platform that you are listening to. We're going to be back next Tuesday. We love you very much. Bye.